nearing the end um, of our time in the bubble and nearing completion of the worship center. And so if you haven't had time to come and drive by the campus, uh, you certainly should do that and see what things look like uh, as the building is wrapping up. Um, my name is Nick, and if you're gathering with us as a guest this morning, we want to say welcome to you and to our Crosspoint family. I can't say it's good to see your face this morning, but uh, I would like to, and so I wish that I could say it's good to see your face this morning, and prayerfully, soon we'll be able to gather back together here to worship the Lord on the campus of Crosspoint. Uh, this morning, for our, uh, for our call to worship, I wanted to read from Second Timothy, Paul's letter, Second Timothy, chapter three, uh, chapter one, verses four through seven. And so, listen as I read from God's holy word. Paul says to Timothy, "As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt." in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As I was thinking about our time together this morning, uh, particularly when Paul says to Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Perhaps that's something that resonates with all of us because uh, we are isolated from one another socially for the most part. We may see one another at a distance and wave, but, but we really uh, are missing that sense of fellowshipping together, of coming together and shaking hands, giving a hug, and checking on one another in person to see how things are going. And so uh, this morning, I'm... I'm excited to be able to come to you and share scripture with you, but I am longing for the day when we can come together and we can share scripture and share, uh, share our, our time together in faith and in worship. And then finally, I want to encourage you in this way. When Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you or on you, uh, I want to encourage all of us to continue fanning into flame this gift of God. Uh, that he has given us, these gifts that he has given to us, uh, the ministry that he has called us to as Christians, as believers. Uh, And he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so again, reminding us not to be fearful, uh, but to trust the Lord. As we looked last week at Psalm 46, uh, this week we'll be looking at Luke chapter 7, continuing to walk through the gospel of Luke beginning in verse 1, going through verse 17. That's our text this morning. And so uh, we're going to focus this morning on the theme of uh, of resurrection. I know that that's, there's a couple of weeks before we get to, uh, to Resurrection Sunday, uh, but that's, that's the theme of the text that we're looking at today. And so I, I want to pray for us as we prepare to join our hearts together and our voices in our homes to sing and to worship the Lord. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, You are gracious and merciful. And we come to you this morning thanking you that we have the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we do pray for one another this morning. We look forward to the day that we can join back together and be filled with joy because of seeing one another face to face. 
Lord, we do pray that you would bring that time quickly. Lord, we ask that you would bring healing upon this land. Uh, but this morning, Lord, as we, as we begin this time of worship, we want, to, we want to praise you and we want to thank you for your goodness toward us. Lord, we want to thank you for the way that you empower us and that you, uh, you desire to work in and through us. And so, God, this morning, hear, uh, hear the, the words of our mouth the, from the depths of our heart. Let, let our, our mouths and our heart bring you praise this morning for, for our good and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let us sing together this morning. of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son and drank the bitter cup reserved for me sing the mystery the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend of Calvary You the perfect Holy One crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you by your perfect sacrifice by your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank by your perfect sacrifice and by your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend and pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end your blood washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you and your blood has washed away my sin 
Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. As we think about a time of confession this morning, uh, what has come to my mind is the the opportunity and the challenge uh, presented to us by the coronavirus in that many of us are uh, put with people that we are not normally with uh, or maybe uh, around people more so than we are normally with. And the opportunity is enormous because what a joy it is to be around friends and family uh, more than we are when we're working normally. Uh, But the challenge is that as uh, sinners, as those who are knowing Christ but yet still struggling with the old self, uh, we are uh, challenged oftentimes by being in close proximity, and so we're not always the best at uh, speaking and acting in ways that are loving and honoring to the Lord. And so I want to just lead us in a time of confession and ask that you would uh, confess to the Lord um, those the words that you've said this week that have not honored him and not uh, been kind, and ask the Lord uh, to increase uh, the grace and the compassion that we show to our loved ones as we're around them more during this time. So let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are mindful <clears throat> in this time that uh, being around people more, uh, our loved ones, family members, uh, is such a great blessing. A great opportunity. Uh, those who are able to work from home and uh, those who are uh, just maybe on on um, some time off. Uh, what a joy it is to be with those that we love, um, parents to be able with their kids more, um, just friends, spouses being able to be together more. Uh, but we realize that uh, in close proximity, sometimes with not much to do and maybe uh, some cabin fever going on, we can uh, grow callous, we can grow uh, harsh in our words and in our actions. And so, Father, we want to confess those to you. Uh, We want to recognize and admit that we don't always speak in ways that are loving, we don't always speak in ways that are kind, particularly in these times where we're maybe on edge a little more, we're anxious about finances or about staying healthy. Uh, We let those factors uh, control how we speak. And we don't speak in a way that's loving, in a way that's honoring to you. And so we confess that to you. And we ask, Lord, that in doing so, uh, of course, that you would forgive us for those things, uh, but also that you would increase in us um, compassion, grace, uh, patience, uh, humility, so that as we are around our spouses, our kids, our parents, whatever it is, uh, more and more during these weeks, uh, that we would not let that be a time of uh, frustration or a time of harsh words, uh, but a rich time of joy and uh, laughter and enjoyment in a way that's, of course, honoring to you and, and uh, worshipful to you, but in a way that's, that builds us up as families and as, as friends and in a way that doesn't drive us apart. Uh, so we ask the Lord that you would work that in us, Uh, And as we move forward, uh, that that would be characteristics that grow in us during this time, uh, sanctify us, uh, make us look more like Jesus in this time in the way that we speak to our friends and family and the way that we treat them. And we confess that and we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.
And as our, um, our word of assurance and pardon this morning, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Ephesians. In chapter 2, he, he's describing uh, the, the condition they were in. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, but then he says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so our hope and our confidence this morning as believers is that we have been saved by the grace of God, uh, that he uh, did not wait for us to improve ourselves, but while we were, we were dead in our sins, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's our confidence, our hope of assurance is that uh, God loves us and he saves us and he forgives us in Christ. So let's uh, sing again, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, a song that we learned uh, shortly before we uh, were removed from one another. Uh, but one that is a just a testimony, an outcry of what we believe and our hope in Christ. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold. My shepherd will defend me Through the deepest valley he will lead Oh, the night has been won And I shall overcome Yet not I, but through Christ in me No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
With every breath I long to follow Jesus For He has said that He will bring me home And day by day I know He will renew me Until I stand with joy before the throne To this I hold my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the My lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen. Thank you, Shane. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, it is good for us to be able to open your word today on this Sunday with the church across this land and across the globe. And Father, we worship you this morning because you are worthy of our worship Though we are not worthy to come to you, Lord, you receive our worship. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that all that we have sung, all that we will say and sing and think upon would be a pleasing aroma in your presence. And so this morning, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would nourish our hearts in the truth of your word. Fill us, O Lord, with the joy of heaven. I pray, God, that you would help us to think rightly about your word and how it applies to our lives and Lord I pray for each of us that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in our hearts and in our minds and apply your word into our lives I pray God that you would give us eyes of compassion to see as you see I pray God that you would bring um, hearts of repentance upon us Lord that we would be people who are quick to repent over our sin as we realize and as we see our sin that we would not stubbornly walk in it and so Lord this morning as we come to you I pray that you would speak to us open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and our our hearts to love the truth of your word Lord, let your word nourish our souls today. 
And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, just to let you know, Wes is here this morning, Shane and Hannah. Hannah's been running video for us. Brandon is on, uh, on live stream, and Casey is on sound this morning. Uh, and so um, I'm thankful for the servants that, uh, that have come and that are still able to help us and to be here in person. And it is good to see just a few faces this morning uh, to worship together. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the text that we're looking at this morning is Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And in a moment, I'm going to read from, from that text, but the title of the sermon is Hope Has a Name. Uh, and as we think about it this morning, we see these two passages, one about uh, the healing of a servant, another about the raising of uh, the widow of Nain's son. Uh, and, and as we, we think about these texts this morning, I, I, I pray that it, it challenges us to be a people uh, who have faith like the centurion, uh, and it challenges us to think upon the hope that Christ gives us and to live out that hope. You know, and as I was thinking about, especially the first, uh, the first story here in the first scene uh, where Jesus heals a centurion servant, I was looking at it, and, and really this theme of authority continues to come up again and again in Jesus' speaking, in his sermons, and what Luke is teaching us about the kingdom of God. Uh, and, you know, as I was thinking on that and reflecting, I was thinking that... Uh, Ever since the beginning of humanity, since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, we have struggled with authority. And sometimes we have a healthy view of authority, and other times we have a negative view of authority. And we, we've even talked about that uh, a, f- a few sermons ago, a few texts ago. Uh, but, you know, this idea of authority, it, we, we don't generally like to have somebody telling us what we should or shouldn't do, right? I mean, we, we tend to push against and push back, push away authority, but we really have a healthy sense of authority when we come to this text this morning and we see how the centurion ultimately responded to Jesus. And so uh, I want to invite you to follow along as I read in verses 1 through 10, and then in a moment we'll look at verses 11 through 17. But listen to the word of God this morning. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, that's speaking of Jesus. In verse 2, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, He marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. May the Lord bless the reading 
of his holy word this morning. Well, this morning, I I want us to see true hope comes through faith in Jesus. And I think both of these texts work together to teach us that true hope does really come through faith in Jesus. And so the, uh, the, the first scene that we come to this morning in verses 1 through 10 is the scene of the story of amazing faith. And in verses 1 and 2, Jesus has finished teaching, and he is on his way, makes his way to Capernaum. And we learn of a centurion whose servant was sick, and even at the point of death. And somehow this centurion gets word that Jesus is entering the city, and so he sends out a delegation to meet Jesus and ask him to heal his servant. Now, a centurion was a citizen of the Roman Empire, He commanded a group of 100 soldiers, uh, and here he was in in Capernaum. But immediately, as we read the story, we recognize something different about this centurion. One of the things we recognize is that he has Jewish Jewish elders to approach Jesus on his behalf. And that's really an unusual development in the story, because this just generally wouldn't be the case. But we also notice something else about the centurion. We notice that he was a compassionate man. It says he cared for his servant. He was, he was highly valued. And so we, we learn something about this person of authority, the centurion, who's a non-Jew. He's a Gentile, but he cares for his bondservant. But not only does it suggest to us that every person has value, it tells us that this centurion is, is a merciful man. And in the bigger picture here of of Luke and Acts, because remember, Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and and they should be read as as being in uh, in sequence, Luke and then Acts, Acts being part two. Luke is paving the way for a Gentile inclusion in the church and for the advancement of the kingdom of God beyond just the Jewish people, but into the entire world. And so in Acts chapter 10 we meet another God-fearing centurion, and his name is Cornelius. And, and for Cornelius, salvation comes to his household, and it comes through Peter's visit, right? In, in the book of Acts, Peter has the vision where the blanket is let down by the four corners, and he sees animals from, uh, from all, well, all different kinds of animals, some clean, some unclean, and the Lord tells Peter, arise, kill, and eat in this vision, and he says, Lord, nothing unclean has ever gone into my mouth, and, and the Lord tells Peter, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. And the point is that God is including Gentiles into his kingdom people. And so in in verse 4, the scene shifts, and we see the Jewish elders approach Jesus on the centurion's behalf. But I, I think what we see when the Jewish elders approach Jesus on the centurion's behalf, they approach Jesus in the wrong way. In verses 4 through 6, we see it now. It isn't reflective of the centurion's approach, but I think it's reflective of, of a kind of worldly approach to Jesus, or, or a, a way of, of seeking God's favor. And so in verse 4, the elders of the Jews approach Jesus, and they plead with him earnestly to come and heal the centurion's servant. But note what they say in verses 4 and 5. They say, he, he's worthy to have you come and do this for him, for he loves our nation. In fact, he's the one who built our synagogue. So it's interesting to note from their perspective what makes the centurion worthy of Jesus. The elders go straight to his good works, right? They they highlight the things that he has done. 
This isn't much different than what the Jewish faith was like and how they would focus on pious activity and, uh, and religious ritual and the things that they were do- doing and sacrifice and, and these sort of things in order to make them and bring them in favor with God. And so it, it's understandable that the elders would speak highly of the centurion. He had funded their synagogue. He had shown love for their nation. But their rationale for Jesus helping him, it was all external. And this is often the way that people approach God, is it not? It's all external. It's about the things we do. The world puts forward this idea that what we do earns us favor with God. And so we equivocate goodness with acceptableness, with worthiness. We, we make it equal. We make goodness equal with worthiness. We say things like, if you're a good person, if you do good things, God will accept you, even bless you. And if you're exceptionally blessed, you'll have great material gain in this life. This often is how the world approaches a relationship with God, our God as creator, our uh, a higher power. The way of worldly wisdom says, if you're generous to others, God will see your love and your goodness, your generosity, your kindness, and he'll reward you. People think about our site karma. What, what goes around comes around, right? This is kind of the... the the pop psychology of the day. Now, there's nothing wrong with being nice to others and generally speaking regarding human relationships. If you're kind to people, generally, they will be kind back to you, right? But we're talking about how we approach Jesus in faith. And we need to note something very different here. Faith doesn't say, look at what I've done. I deserve this. Faith doesn't promote self as worthy. Faith doesn't highlight good works before Jesus as justification for his favor. That's what an empty form of religion does. You see, religion likes to impress with external attractions. It likes to impress with good works, with pious activity. And so the elders pointed to his good works, but Jesus praised his faith. The centurion offers a different perspective of himself And I believe it illustrates this. It illustrates the right way to approach Jesus. And so in kind of the second half of verse 6 through verse 10, we notice some things about the centurion. Right off, we notice his humility. It's likely that the report from the elders returned much quicker than the elders returned with the crowd that were coming with Jesus. And so... As soon as he realizes Jesus is coming, he sends a a second delegation, this time of friends, to go out and to meet Jesus. And he says what I think to be his intention the whole time. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Right? The, The Jewish elders are saying he's worthy to have you come. But his response is, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, indicating He's saying, I I don't presume to come to you, nor do I presume to have you come to me. Just say the word and it will be so, right? Look at verse 7. I didn't presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Say the word and it will be so. So the centurion models humility. What is humility? Humility is a a low or a modest opinion of one's own importance. And particularly in this context, it's it's one's own importance before God, (laughs) Right? It's seeing myself as I truly am before God. C.S. Lewis, writing to a friend, told how the writings of a great Scottish preacher, Alexander White, 
had brought him face to face with a characteristic of Puritanism he had almost forgotten. Right? If you read Puritan writings, you realize that they had this really low view of themselves and constantly were, were focused on mortifying the flesh in order to uh, try to walk in greater holiness with God. And so here's what he said. For him, says Lewis, the one essential symptom of the regenerate life is a permanently horrified perception of one's natural and, it seems, unalterable corruption. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. I'll, I'll read it again. For him, says Lewis, the one essential symptom, so this is a, the Scottish preacher Alexander Wright writing, okay? For him, says Lewis, the one essential symptom of the regenerate life is a permanently horrified perception of one's natural and, it seems, unalterable corruption. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Well, you know what he's saying there. The Scottish preacher is saying, I recognize my unworthiness to come before God. I recognize my unworthiness. Now, that's similar to Peter's response in chapter 5, verse 8 of Luke's gospel, where Peter has been fishing all night. They come in. Jesus commandeers the boat. They push out a little bit from the land, and Jesus begins preaching. And after he finishes, he tells Peter, he says, okay, Peter, push out a little further now and drop your nets, and you'll catch fish. And Peter's like, come on, Lord. Look, I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. You're the teacher, but... This is my area, right? And, and I'm, I know what we're doing. There's no fish right here. Right? But anyway, so he, he lets down the net. They catch so much fish that both boats begin to sink. And then Peter's response was, he kneels down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This is similar to what the centurion thinks of himself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. Look, I know if you just say the word, it will happen. So he, he also, not only, not only was he humble, but he believed in the authority of Jesus' word, right? Verse 7, just say the word, and it will be so. He'll be healed. And then in verse 8, we see that he submitted to Jesus' authority. Instead of doubling down on his own authority, he humbly recognizes that his authority pales in comparison to that of Jesus. And by extension, he says, just give the command and it will be so. In other words, Lord, don't bother with me, right? Verse 6, the end of verse 6, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And in verse 9, Jesus praises the faith of the centurion. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith, he says. And verse 10 tells us that when they arrived back at the house, the servant was well. But that's not the story that's being emphasized here, is it? I mean, that just gives one brief passing comment, the servant was well. The story here is a story of faith. The fact that Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith highlights the kind of faith that we should have in Jesus, which is set in contrast with God's covenant people who are missing Messiah's visitation. Jesus came to bring the gospel to all people. And the centurion is a Gentile, get this, who humbly submits to Jesus' authority. He believes in his power to heal, and he actively demonstrates his faith. Just say the word, Lord. Don't even come. All you have to do is speak it. So the centurion shows us an example 
of a person who has faith in Jesus without ever even seeing him. My mind goes forward to John chapter 20, verse 29, where Jesus, after his resurrection, is speaking with Thomas. And he says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Or Peter, in 1 Peter 1.8, when he writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Think about the picture of the, centurion, the centurion's faith. Think about the picture that, that it gives us. Humility in approaching Christ. Absolute confidence and belief in his word. And complete submission to Christ's authority. You know, the reality here, though, is that these are the very ways that we struggle in our faith. Humility isn't our natural disposition, right? I mean, remember, humility deals with our opinion and view about our own importance. Oftentimes, our approach to God is filled with presumption and pride at best, and maybe even a hint of entitlement, Lord help us. The centurion displayed humility, true humility. I'm not worthy. And then confidence and belief in his word. When, when we think about confidence and belief in God's word, it's often overshadowed by our own self-sufficiency. Instead of trusting in God, we tend toward trusting in self. Right, And so the centurion here offers us a picture of, of confidence and belief and trusting in God's word. But then also, complete submission to his authority. You know what complete submission to his authority means? It, it means that I follow him and all that I have is his. But so often we say with our mouths, I follow you, Jesus, and all that I have is yours. And then we do whatever we want to do. We act, and then we ask God to bless what we have done. And the problem is, maybe God didn't want us to do what we have done, and we didn't bother to stop and seek and ask God's direction or seek counsel from godly individuals that he has placed in our lives for this very reason of living the faith together in a community. Or even worse, we knew God's way, but we decided that walking in our own way was more rewarding. And of course, Scripture calls this sin. And so, the centurion shows us a picture of complete submission to Christ's authority. So friend, let me ask you in your faith walk, does your approach to Jesus look more like the Jewish elders or the centurion? Are we more inclined to come and say, Jesus, look what I've done. God, look what I've done. God, I've done all of these things for you. Or are we more like the centurion who comes to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy. Just say the word, I believe. I'm not worthy. So not only do we have a picture of true faith, but I think we also, in the second scene we, we come to, we have the story of amazing compassion Look at verse 11 through 17, verses 11 through 17, and follow along as I, as I read. <clears throat> Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, 
and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer. And the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What do these actions say about Jesus' role, about his vocation, about his, about his mission? So as we look at this portion of the passage, I think first Jesus, we see that Jesus came to heal our brokenness and give us hope. And we see this in verses 11 through 13. Note the details of verses 11 and 12, though. On the heels of his ministry in Capernaum, the the next day, he comes to the town of Nain, and the disciples are with him. And then also a great crowd is with him. And we enter the story as he approaches, he draws near to the gate of the town. And as he draws near, there's a funeral scene unfolding. There's this procession in progress And there's a considerable crowd with the procession as well. We kind of maybe picture it in our minds, the two crowds coming together. We learn the funeral is for a man who is the only son of a widow. You know what that means? It means that after the sorrow of burying her husband, she's now burying her only son. And so she she represents a woman who's, she is a woman who, for her, all hope is gone. It's a hopeless scene. It's one of tragedy and great sorrow. She's broken to the point of despair. She is without, hum- uh, without hope and without comfort. They're professional mourners that are there as, as there would have been for any funeral procession and they're gathered around her. They're wailing. There's outbursts of crying. There's cymbals clashing. We would look at it and maybe think it's a chaotic scene. But in the case of the death of a child and only son at that, the wailing would have been especially loud. And there's irony in the scene as well. The irony that screams out at us is that though there are many who are around her, she's alone in her sorrow. They've made their way from the family home through the streets to arrive at the town gate. And that's where Jesus encounters the mother and the crowd. They're They're headed outside of the city gate to the family burial cave where her husband has been placed. And this is, for her, a familiar walk, but it's, it's one that she had hoped she would be carried along and not her son, and certainly not this soon. And so when Jesus saw the woman in verse 13, it says he had compassion on her. We would say his heart broke for her. It's this way of speaking about feeling down in the gut, right? And, and it's this deep, deep response of, of compassion and and a broken heart. As he looks upon her brokenness and her hopelessness, he speaks to her and he says, do not weep. I want to ask you, what kind of words are those to a widow whose only son has died? Do not weep. They don't seem like words of compassion. In fact, they seem more like heartless and thoughtless words of an agitator 
And I would submit to you that they would be unless, unless you have the power to do something about death. And if you have that kind of power, then they're not words of hopelessness. They're not words of thoughtlessness. They're words of the greatest hope, the greatest kind of hope. This is why the gospel is such good news. This is why the incarnation of Christ is so wonderfully comforting because he has compassion on his people. Because he identifies with us in our weakness, in our sorrows. Jesus understands our pain, both physical and emotional. He knows what it's like to be human, and he knows the threat of mortality. He knows the sting of death. That's why he came, so that in the face of death, people can say, Christians can say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting, right? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is hope. This is the greatest hope. Jesus heals our brokenness by giving us hope beyond the grave. That's what he's doing for the widow of Nain. And so Jesus can say to the widow, do not weep. Because Jesus came to arrest death and swallow it in victory. And we see that in verses 14 and 15. He came to arrest death and swallow it in victory. Jesus moves through the crowd, right? The crowds have come together. They're at the city gate. And he begins to move through the crowd. And he approaches the coffin. And he places his hand on it so that the bearers stood still, right? They stopped walking. Now they're standing still. If I picture myself as a bystander, can almost hear the wailing subside as Jesus touches the coffin and everything goes silent. There's a gasp, maybe, right? They're surprised that he would walk up and make himself unclean by touching the coffin. And everyone looks on with astonishment. But, but in this scene, don't miss this. Jesus, as the author of life, stands face to face with death and the havoc that has been wreaked on humanity through sin and the curse of sin. And then by the power of his word, he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And at that very moment, the dead man sat up and began speaking. And so get this, even when the dead hear the voice of Jesus, they obey. The young man obeyed. When Jesus speaks, the dead come to life. This is the gospel truth. Jesus' authority to command the dead to life points us not only to the physical reality of resurrection hope, but to the, the spiritual reality of a person being brought from death to life. Scripture teaches us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're alienated from God, and we're condemned to suffer eternally for the wages of our sin. And our sinner, As sinners, every one of us suffers this fate. But the hope of the gospel is our great champion has come. One who takes the finality of death and the grave and he overcomes its power with his own power. The story of the widow's son being raised, it points us to the greater truth that Jesus has all authority over death. 
And it reminds us that what was lost in the Garden of Eden has been regained through Christ's redemption. This, this points us to see that the only one who can reconcile us to God is Jesus Christ himself. He is the only way that humanity can be restored into a right relationship with God, the creator of the cosmos. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus calling you by his word? Is he saying to your soul, though it's dead, come to life? Is he saying to your soul, arise, come to life? I came to arrest death and I've swallowed it in victory. It's for this reason that we see this morning Jesus came not only to arrest death and swallow it in victory, but he came so that he might turn our mourning into praise. I wanted to say turn our mourning into dancing, right? But that, that could be the case, certainly for the crowds in verses 16 and 17. But we're told that they praised God. They glorified God, right? Look at what happened for the crowd. They witnessed the miracle. It says, fear seized them all, and they glorified God. They began saying, a great prophet has visited his people. Their day was transformed from a day of mourning and funeral procession to a day of praise. There's a connection here in the story of this weeping widowed woman whose son is being carried off with a later scene in Luke's gospel, the scene of his widowed mother, as he, her eldest son, is crucified and then carried off for burial. Right? But, but here's the hope of Christ. The hope of Christ is victory over death by which Jesus turns our mourning into eternal praise. There is hope beyond this life. There is security beyond the grave. And the hope we have in Christ is that death is not the end for all who believe upon him. That Jesus came to deal with the problem of death, with the curse of sin. His role, his mission, his vocation is to speak life, to usher in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It is to give humanity hope in the face of trials, in the face of troubles, even in the face of death. The Savior has come. A new hope has dawned. Christ the Lord has reversed the curse of sin and death. And the security of our hope isn't based on the things of this world, but it's based on the authority and the power of Christ who defeated our greatest enemy, death. In two Sundays, we'll celebrate the hope of resurrection in Christ. This morning we see Jesus' compassion toward this woman. His compassion and his power demonstrate that he not only cares for us, cares for her, but cares for us in times of distress, in times of pain, in times of weakness, in times of sorrow and rejection. But, but he is the one who has ultimately done something about it. Not only did he identify with us, but he entered our humanity and then he suffered in our place so that in him we might be called the sons and daughters of God in Christ. This is true hope. He came to give us hope. 
True hope comes through faith in Christ. And so this morning, let me, let me challenge you and ask you, do you know the hope that comes through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ, trusted him, believed upon him like the centurion exemplifies faith? Have, have you surrendered your life in complete and total submission to Jesus Christ, the one who has power even over death? There is no reason to fear. For Christ has risen from the grave and he gives us hope beyond the grave. For if he has risen, he will bring us who believe in him with him for eternity. I want to close us in prayer this morning and then we're going to respond by singing a song that Shane's going to lead us in. And then I'll just share a few more thoughts with you as we close our time together this morning. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. We thank you that you have given us life. We thank you that Jesus came and suffered in our place and as he entered humanity, he can look upon our pain. He can look upon our suffering, our rejection, our helplessness and our hopelessness and he can have compassion on us and he can give us hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the power over death and that you promise us resurrection life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us this morning with your hope. If there's anybody listening who needs to surrender their life in faith to Jesus, I pray that you would give them strength to do that. And Lord, for us who believe, we pray that you would empower us to live in this way, to live hopeful, to live in submission, to exemplify such deep faith as we see modeled in the centurion. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began and ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me new now life peace your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you 
released from my chains I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt And he called me his friend When death was arrested And my life began Oh, oh, your grace so free Washes over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you our savior displayed on a criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over. made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you though we're free free forever we're free come join of all the redeemed yes we're free free forever amen when death was arrested and my life began when death was arrested and my life began that's when death was arrested and my life pray the Lord has encouraged your heart and your mind today uh, as, we, as we continue to worship the Lord throughout this day. I, I want to encourage you to think about uh, how you would, provide, you would give your offering this morning as, a, as part of your continued worship. And so I want to remind you that we have online giving available, so you can certainly do that. Um, but also I want to make, make everyone aware, uh, as I sent out in the email a few weeks ago, uh, or two weeks ago, that um, that we are still, you know, we're trying to help with benevolence offering for church families who uh, are have been put out of work for a period of time. Um, and so I know that the government is working on a stimulus package, uh, and so we, uh, we're thankful for that. But on the other hand, uh, we also know that there are some immediate needs. And so um, if, if you would, in the midst of your offering, consider how you might give to help benevolence if you're able. And uh, you can do that online uh, through selecting benevolence, or you could also do that uh, through sending in a check, mailing in your check. And so um, the information for the church campus, the, um, the address is there online, and you can see it by going to the website. Uh, and then also, let me mention that uh, 
some of, some of our elderly especially, they may need someone to run to the store for them and kind of be a personal shopper and go and pick some stuff up from the grocery store to keep them from getting out and from, uh, from getting into the stores and being around the general public. And so if, uh, if, if you need someone to go to the store for you, please don't hesitate to call the church office or speak with your deacon, speak with one of the elders as we're calling and checking in on, on everyone, uh, or, uh, and, and let us know. And then if you're able to go to the store for someone, uh, please let us know that as well so that we can connect people and provide for people uh, as they're needed. It's been a real joy to worship with you today. Again, I wish that I could see everyone's face. I pray the Lord has blessed you today. Let us, uh, let us close by singing the doxology together this morning. Shane. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May you be blessed today by the Lord. Amen.